You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. How is everyone this wonderful Thursday? Probably the last time you will hear my voice for a little over a week. Uh, We have some people filling in next week. That's going to be fun. But as we do just about every Thursday, we skip the week. My buddy used to be a someone we worked together with at ESPN is Mike Sando joins us. Mike, what is up with you? There is a little something up with you, isn't there? <laughs> Very minor free agent transaction, Matt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and this is just the fine print at the bottom of the box score, right? But no, I uh, a big deal to me. Yes, I, uh, you know, after just a really great, rewarding 12 years at ESPN, um, I did agree to a, a offer to become a uh, you know, similar type columnist position at the athletics. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, just getting started, had my debut sort of introductory column um, this week and we'll dive in next week as camps get going. And I'll be doing a lot of the same stuff that I've been doing um, before, uh, just with a new, uh, you know, a new business card. Yeah, that's great. Congratulations. That's good stuff. Um, I, too, enjoyed my 10 years at ESPN a great deal, but I have a lot of respect for what's going on at The Athletic. It was about a year or so ago that they actually were sponsoring this podcast and gave me a free subscription. I hadn't been to the site before, and now I'm hooked. I go every day. I know the Steeler beat writers well. I think Mike Lombardi does great work, Dane Brugler. I mean, you're, you're part of a great cast there. Congratulations. It's good stuff. Thanks. Yeah, it is exciting. Good group. And, and uh, I'm just excited for, you know, for, for, for what's ahead and, and being with this group. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, we, we have such a big roster that I'm going through the roster and it's amazing. You, you just name after name. You're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I want to be with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And some people that followed my podcast career, my old buddy, Ross Tucker's part of that group too. So Ross and mm-hmm. I hosted football today for three or four years or whatever it was too. So it is, it's an all-star yeah. cast. I urge everyone to check out your work and our other friends over there too. Like you said, it's good stuff. Congratulations once again, Michael. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, you will continue. One of your other, speaking of your career, one of the other things you have done <laughs> over the years is hall of fame stuff. And for mm-hmm. anyone listening for the first time or missed this conversation, just give us a quick view of what your responsibilities are with that. Yeah, with Hall of Fame, you know, Hall of Fame game will be coming up. But basically, uh, you know, what is it, 46, 48 guys on the Hall of Fame selection committee. So we're, okay. we meet the day before the Super Bowl and you know, you that list of 15 finalists, we spend eight or 10 hours discussing them and voting on. And that's sort of the culmination of the process. Specifically, I uh, replaced... Claire Farnsworth on the committee 10 years ago. Claire was a longtime Seahawks beat reporter. I was a beat reporter covering the Seahawks. So the position I have is actually representing the Seattle market. So my specific role then is when somebody like, uh, you know, Walter Jones comes up, who was primarily a Seahawk associated with the Seattle market, it's my responsibility to present their Hall of Fame case to the room. So that's a great honor. Uh, I've done that for Cortez Kennedy. Um, I've done that for Walter Jones. And I'm in the process of doing that for uh, Steve Hutchinson. 
And, of course, it was great to see Kenny Easley get in as well, but he was part of the seniors committee. So mm-hmm. while I was very supportive of him, I wasn't primarily responsible for him because he had been out of the game for 25 or more years. So I love it. It's one of the favorite things I get to do, just a privilege and an honor. And, and I love the research. I'm kind of a researcher at heart. Uh, it's fun to learn more about these guys. We already know quite a bit about, but you know, when you do your homework, you get a, a clearer a, a clear vision, but also a greater appreciation for just how hard this is. And I, I was with everybody else, Matt before I was on the committee in criticizing the committee. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're sitting, That's what I do, right. Yeah, you're sitting there, yeah, you're sitting there in your office and you, you know the headline comes across you're like Chris Carter didn't make the Hall of Fame. These guys are idiots. Right. He's of course a Hall of Famer then and you go leave off. taken out. You know? Right. So it's there's a bunch of Hall of Famers who don't make it every year and I feel bad for them because it means so much for them and their family. I take this the responsibility very seriously, but it is an exclusive group. It's a hard process and that's by design and I I enjoy being part of it. Yeah, it really is an honor. I mean, and you've earned it. That's awesome. Um, I know Ed Bouchette pretty well, who's been doing it forever mm-hmm. here in Pittsburgh and has helped a lot of Steelers mm-hmm. obviously get into get enshrined in Canton. And I've been meaning to ask him and now, now I'm going to ask you because Times have changed a lot since Cortez Kennedy's career, let alone Joe Green's and Jack mm-hmm. Ham's. They stay with the same team. You know, like, T.O. got in last year, and I always, I've always i brought it up on these airwaves a few times. Does it hurt a guy? Like, who 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 was in his corner? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. since you yeah. guys all have teams, a, a guy like maybe a Revis or a T.O. or that bounces around, I think that would probably yeah. hurt their cause, doesn't it? Yeah, some guys are so well-known, like yeah. Revis, that I, I don't think it's going to affect them. You know what I mean? Everyone was aware of how good he was. Mm-hmm. I think for somebody like Cortez Kennedy, who played for you know some good defenses, but some teams with horrific offenses, tucked up in the northwest corner, before everyone had direct TV and even saw the games, there's a process of, of even though he's on one team, having to remind people how great he was. Okay, Now you take some of those guys um, who had really good careers – but uh, played for a lot of different teams. Somebody like a Chris Hinton, okay? Hmm, he played okay. for four different teams. Got traded I think for he was pro bowl. I think he was pro bowl at four positions on the line, you know, and all wow. pro and all this stuff. I mean, he was really good. If he had played his entire career for the Steelers, I mean, I think his chances of being in the Hall of Fame would be much higher. Yeah. Uh, but because he played for four different teams, and we, you can say, hey, well, he should have played for one team the whole way through if he was so great. Well, that's not always fair either. So um, I think changing teams can then um, hurt somebody until their case is more clearly explained. And like you said, who's it, are, are the people putting them in as, I don't want to say invested, but familiar you know, mm-hmm. you know, with them? I think, that, I think it's a factor. You know, I think it is a factor and something that has to be worked through. Um, but hopefully, in the end, the best guys get in. And I think for the most part, they do. Yeah, I, I do too. I just was always wondering, you know, if you don't have someone as strong in your corner, you mentioned how tough the process mm-hmm. is to begin with. I need every help yeah. I can get. I mean, Brett Favre's going to go no matter what. But, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not saying Brandon Cooks is a Hall of Famer, but he's been with three teams yeah. in three years. But he was traded for first-round picks. I mean, it wasn't like he was dumped yeah. and nobody wanted him. Um, I, yeah. I just was and, curious how that went. Yeah, yeah. and you know, you mentioned T.O., and I think one of the big mis- misconceptions on T.O. was that you know he was bad to the media and a bunch of these guys didn't like him uh, you know, as a result. And 
really the irony of that is the the guys arguing the strongest for him were the guys who covered him and everyone else just saw him on tv i mean i covered the nfl for 20 years have i had two conversations with you know i wasn't covering him every day he Mm -hmm. never did any he never did anything to me i was trying to help get him in i thought he was a, a marvelous player uh his case just came down to, um, you know, did his antics hurt his teams? Right. And if so, should that hold him back? It was a little bit complicated. That's probably why it took a year to, to hash through all that. But he got in. I mean, he's a great player, obviously a dominant player. Do you remember, was it the Niners guy that do, does what you do that was in T.O.'s corner? You know, was he the one that presented oh, yeah. him? Yeah, it had to be the Niners guy, right? I mean, it couldn't have been. The well, there was multiple or... people who there was multiple people in the room who were around those 49ers teams either every day or as national reporters. And, um, yes, they were advocating for him. So um, and he was just a complex, controversial figure because you could make the case that, you know, as great as he was and as tough as he was for Philly and, and almost winning that Super Bowl uh, with a broken ankle. Um, they had to hold a press conference later um, in which they got rid of him, right? And so, you know, was he undercutting his quarterback? Th- those are, you know, it's not clearly defined what is a Hall of Famer, right? There's no statistical bar that you reach. And, oh, you're in. Get there 500 is no discussion you're in. around right, yeah. Yeah, so I, and I can't, you know, I would be embarrassed if, he, if it took 10 years for him to get in. I mean, I just think he was too good. Um, but. Uh, you know, he got in, so yeah, he got yeah. in pretty quickly, right? First couple of years, so I, uh, it would be disingenuous to say that there wasn't any, there weren't any complexities with him. He just had the numbers put him in. There were some complexities. Oh, I'm sure, right? I mean, um, and and along those lines, I'm just sitting here thinking. I assume Ed Bouchard, who I mentioned, does the Steelers stuff. Someday he's going to be in charge of Antonio Brown's case. I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless he goes he on could be. plays 10 years with the Raiders and is better there than Pittsburgh, I would think that, that they might. Be yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, I think his numbers in the end are going to speak very loudly for him in mm-hmm. independent of the other stuff. You know, um, he's just a great player. He's done things other people haven't done. Yeah. I mean, I think he gets in, but it's just funny to me yeah. in this, in this in July of 2019, Ed's going to have to be standing on a soapbox saying, AB's the man. And I think he's an easy one to get in. But I just wanted to go down that hole real quick. Uh, Folks, we're brought to you by Postmates today. Um, Postmates is a personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service all year round. For a limited time, Postmates is giving Locked On listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. Download download the Postmates app and use our code LOCKEDON. All right, we're back, and I planned on talking about this in the first segment, Mike, but there's, you guys don't have these conversations again, but there's a handful of guys that were near misses to the Hall of Fame last year, namely Steve Hutchinson, who you were the closest related to, that I think should go in. I think Hutchinson, I thought, was going to be about as much of a slam dunk as any, and just yeah. big picture, it can't help being a guard, right? You know, Jerry Kramer just finally got in from the Packers, and there was a lot of stink for a lot of years. He should have went long ago. Guards and centers, I think, could have an uphill climb. Yeah, and and the safeties don't want to hear it. By the way, I mean they've. <laughs> they've <laughs> Good point. <laughs> we finally started to get some in, so I can see John Lynch sitting there rolling his eyes, going, "Hey, wait oh, a minute! Don't tough. talk about the guards. We're putting some in." But, right. You mentioned yeah, Kenny Easley. Position, the yeah, positions right. do matter. The positions do matter, and. Um, yeah, the thing that surprised me a little on Hutch specifically is that 
when Hutch was playing, which wasn't that long ago, I mean, he was just like universally regarded as the best. I mean, there were people, yeah. you know, national writers doing things, ranking the 100 best players in the league. And he's like, you know, near the top, much higher than some of the other guards. Um, and so I thought that, um, you know, maybe it's the curse of knowledge a little bit. You know stuff, but not everyone else knows it because I was covering him every day. I've done the research. Um I just think he was thought of as so elite that, I mean, he's obviously going to get in, but um, I thought he had a great chance in, the, in his first two years. And part of the reason, you know, part of the issue is that there's been a log jam of offensive linemen. And, you know, Fanica is deserving and Tony Baselli's in the mix. And we've had, um, you know, Kevin Mawai was in another interior lineman. So when you have a bunch of guys at, this, at similar positions come up, it's kind of like what happened at receiver. Remember earlier in our conversation, I was like, how is Chris Carter not in? And it's like, well, you know, when you're banging heads against Tim Brown and Andre Reed and other guys who have a Marvin good case Harrison. for the Hall of Fame, yeah, right. sometimes, Matt, when you go fill out your ballot at the end, um, you don't all – I think it – when you have multiple guys at a position, sometimes the voters, you know, pick their top guy at that position or, or, you know what I mean? The votes could get split among the receivers or the votes could get split among the linemen. And eventually they start to move. One of them gets in and then you see like the log jams broken and they all go in You're, you know, in a three year period, that wide receiver thing went away. Remember that was the big topic, but, but you know, it broke through. So my hope is that with Mawai getting in, you know, that this next year, you know, maybe Hutch and Fanica both get in, or Hutch and Baselli. You know what I mean? There, mm-hmm. There's that we really see the movement. I mean, this is kind of unfair because you know it's the, the prettiest girl at the pageant type of thing. But to me, I thought of Hutchinson, Baselli, Fanica, Mawai. Hutch was the most no-brainer of the group. Then I thought yeah. Fanica was a very deserving Hall of Famer, and he's been waiting a little bit longer than Hutch. Not that that should influence his case one way or another. And I would also put Baselli over Mawai. I was I was shocked that Kevin Mawai went in. And I, again, I'm not saying the guy, he stinks. He shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And I know he brought a lot of value off the field and things as well. But I just didn't think he was as yeah. dominant a player as those other two in particular interior guys. Well, you know, he has big advocates among some of the uh, uh, offensive line coaches. You know, Howard Mudd really? coached him. And they can tell you things he can do in terms of his range and athleticism that other centers can't do and also he's competing against you know at that position there's just not that many guys who to to compare against you know i think in his case also playing a long time in a bunch of markets including new york market don't forget that you go to that certainly helps suddenly you're you know he wasn't going to any pro bowls in seattle i can tell you that and i'm not saying he wasn't (laughs) deserving but right but he left seattle after four years and um you know it was a big deal he got great money uh parcells really wanted him and parcells knew what he was doing but it wasn't like you know you now you get to you you go to new york especially at that time everyone gets to see you you know and he signed a big deal and and the perception and the reality was that he lived up to it you know he was he was um top player to position so um i don't have a problem with any of those guys getting in i think baselli's the most interesting one because you could really say at take all these players on their best day. I don't know. I'm this, I'm talking about any position. I don't know that any of them were better than Baselli, Right. Right. Um, but he had the terrible injury. So he played five or six years. Um, and that is a consideration. If he had played 10 years, I mean, I think he would have probably gone right in playing tackle. It's interesting because 
longevity is almost required for offensive linemen, you know, where we've seen Gail Sayers and Terrell Davis and some some guys that didn't play super long but put up stats and were great at their position, where it's a little bit harder for an offensive lineman, especially, yep. I think, pre-pro football focus. And you see this with, you know, uh, the Pro Bowl. Sometimes guys, unless you're, you know, a guy like Quentin Nelson that comes into the league, high profile, goes to a Pro Bowl right away, usually offensive linemen, it takes them a year or two when they're deserved Pro Bowlers and then they get in yeah. and they probably hang around a year or two too long, you know, and I think that kind of overlaps with the Hall of Fame a little yep. bit too. A little bit. Yep. Yep. So as I, you know, as I've told Hutchinson too, you know, he, and he knows time's coming. So hopefully it's this year yeah. or next year, I guess it'll be into February, January, February. Um, last guy I wanted to talk about that didn't get in last year. I mentioned some running backs and... <laughs> That's Edger and James, and he was a huge component of those great Colt teams. Played pretty long, um, good stats, a little ahead of his time, I thought, as a receiver. Uh, a do-it-all guy. Another really tough position to get in, though. I, I mean, and I often say this, and this is hard, but I didn't think Terrell Davis was a deserved Hall of Famer. And when I look at the running backs, I look at Jerome Bettis, and I look at Curtis Martin as, quote, the worst Hall of Fame running backs. Like, I, I look at those two and say, if you're as good as them, you're probably over the threshold. If you're not, then you're probably slightly out. I'm not sure where I fall on edge. Um, I think, well, I think he was outstanding. You know, you mentioned the teams that he was on, and obviously Peyton Manning's going to get an outsized, the passing game's going to get an outsized amount of credit for that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think we just need to make sure that the, the discussion on him is as smart as it can be covers all the contributions not only that you know how they were specific contributions to that team and that team winning um i don't you know am i am i outraged he hasn't gotten in yet do i think that he will get in i would say you know i don't think it's an absolute travesty that he hasn't got in yet but um i think he will i mean i think he will get in and for some of these guys it's, it's a matter of time well once you get once you get in that room, Matt, is the final 15. It's like, you know, 90% chance you're, you know, whatever, 80% chance you get in. It's a very high percent chance you get in within a certain amount of time. So I guess I never thought of it that um, way, that once you go to a finalist, it's more often than not, it's a matter of time, yeah. when as opposed to if. Well, yeah. So, you know, mathematically, so if you have 15 guys in five slots, there's 3,000 unique combinations of five that you can have each year. So just think, you know, you know what I mean. Just the mm-hmm. math of this can sometimes be—it's inexplicable. You try to tell the player, well, why didn't I get in? And it's like, well, there's many combinations of the final five that could possibly happen, and you, we're not going to agree with all of them. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, another quick break here. We got another fun topic. I'll be back here in a moment. All right, we are back with Mike Sando from the Athletic. Yes, I almost said it the said the opposite there. Almost because falls out of my mouth a little differently. But congratulations yet again. You mentioned me that to mentioned to me that Vic Fangio had some. He had a press conference yesterday and had some interesting conversation or some quotes about yeah. training camp and open. And I didn't realize, and he didn't even realize that the Broncos have the most open training camps in the league this year. Uh, they're they're going to be added here pretty soon. Just curious your take on that, and I thought we'd have a fun yep. conversation with that to wrap the show up. 
Absolutely. You know, I think Dallas has announced all of theirs. I think they will end up having a similar number of open. But, um, you know, Vic Fangio, having been around so long, you know, he was he was, you know, coaching for the Saints in the mid 80s, has an appreciation for the growth of the league. And I think he expressed that in saying how important it is for the league to welcome fans in and not just fans who have the means to buy a seat license on the 50 yard line. Right. 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 But fan, you know, fans like, you know, your neighbor, uh, you know, your uncle who, um, you know, maybe shelling out all that money isn't something they, within their means, you open the doors to training camp, they come in, they catch a wristband from a player, they get an autograph, they connect in a way that you can't through TV, even through social media. You can't have that type of, you know, uh, shaking the hand, looking in the eye that you personally experience that happens all the time at training camp. So what Vic Fangio expressed an appreciation for was the value of that in the context of the growth and health of the league. So I thought it was really a smart, well-thought-out perspective. I appreciated it very much. Um, I don't know, Matt, if you went to training camps or anything when you were a kid or uh, if yeah. pro athletes or somebody <laughs> famous, you know, rubbing shoulders with them made an impact on you. Um, what was your experience? Uh, and my two stories are growing up, I mean, hockey wasn't really big in Pittsburgh. The Penguins were horrible until they drafted Mario Lemieux. Like the worst worst franchise in the league, basically. And I hardly even knew it. And there weren't many rinks around here. Nobody was playing hockey. I had buddies playing hockey. But my high school, Mount Lebanon, had like the only rink in basically the South Hills of Pittsburgh. And it took me till like age 14, 15, 16 to realize that's where the Pens had their, quote, training camp. It was right, you know, right next to my high school. I mean, right next to my high school. And it dawned on me that... Why am I going to school when Mario Lemieux's practicing right down the hill? So I, I, I regret it now because I could have missed a few <laughs> more days of algebra. But from time to time, we would take the day off. And I remember, like, Paul Coffey was a great defenseman. They just traded for him with the, the Oilers. And I handed him a, a, a hockey card when, with some of the Oilers. He smacked it out of my hand, said bad words, and said, I'm not signing that to help with those guys, you know, and... So we would go sit in the stands for nothing, watch elite hockey players, one of the best players in the world, right down the hill from our high school when we should have been in school. And I should have done it more. I mean, looking back, I should have gone every day. And lastly, and this one won't probably surprise anyone, but Steelers camp where I'm moving in is kind of in like a mountainous area of Pittsburgh, like rolling hills. And the I think you've been there. The fields are there, and then there's a big hillside that everyone kind of sits on around it. And back in the day, there wasn't stands. I mean, just everyone would just grab a hold of this this hillside wherever you could. And at least once a year, my dad or my uncle or somebody would take me up, and I would just sit there and stare at practice and loved it. And then after I turned 16, I would drive up there all the time, you know, just by myself, like a total yeah. nerd. Yep. And then I start taking a notebook, and then I'm, you know, jotting things down. Like, I looked like a scout from another team. <laughs> you know, like I just wanted to learn anything I could, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they were yep, exactly yep. worried that I was working for the Browns or anything. I mean, I was like 16, 17, 18, whatever, but that's a good, almost two yep. hour drive. I would just spend the day on the hillside by myself, like a total nerd. Yep. Yep. And me having gone to a ton of training camps for years, you know, you see those interactions, you know, between a player, somewhere with the team and a, and a fan. And they make lasting impressions. I remember as a kid, 
you know, Dusty Baker was a star player for the, uh, it dates me a little bit, but a star player for the Dodgers and came yeah, to yeah. our elementary school, you know, or it came to our elementary school and signed some autographs. And, you know, that stuck with, stood, you know, stayed with me for a long time. I went to a, you know, a kid's basketball camp and Kurt Rambis was a rookie and he, he showed up. I was in California growing up in California at the time. So anyone from the Lakers was a huge deal in that sort of showtime era as it was getting going. And, um, I still have the t-shirt that he signed and, uh, probably not worth much more than it was when, uh, you know, when it didn't have the signature on it, but it meant a lot to me, you know, and I think that those types of, um, you know, the, the league and the players and the coaches sort of have a responsibility to the game to not forget that. You know, it doesn't take much to make a lasting impact on someone. And while the demand's going to be high for those guys when they, you know, can't walk across a mall or, or have dinner with their families without someone coming up and bugging them, um, you know, when they handle it in a nice way, it really goes a long way. Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, when I was six, Tony Pena threw me a baseball. He was number six. It was on my birthday, which was 6'6". Six, mm-hmm. six. And I'll never forget that. You know, I was in the stands. And Ray Bork mm-hmm. signed an all-star jersey I had when the when the, when the uh, all-star game was here in Pittsburgh. And I basically camped out in the, the hotel where they were all staying and got everyone's autograph a hundred times. And uh, Wayne Gretzky's dad. Yep. You, know, just, <laughs> you know, just anything. Um, last thing to wrap this up, though, because it goes back to the beginning of our conversation your first article with the Athletic, <laughs> you mentioned your com- not your commute, but how you used to go to Raider games, and I was a little flabbergasted. You talk <laughs> about fandom and dedication; yeah, that yeah. was pretty awesome. Uh, I was crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was crazy. So I was. Uh, I grew up in Northern California, but I was working. My first job in uh, journalism was working for the newspaper in Spokane, Washington. Okay, and so I would. Uh, a lot of times I'd work the four to midnight shift in the office in the sports department. It was, you know, really my dream job at the time to be part of a sports department. And, uh, I think I was 25 years old when the Raiders moved back to Oakland. And I always promised myself if they did, I would buy season tickets. Well, I didn't have any money to buy season tickets. I did have my old neighbor across the street growing up, uh, um, was still down there. And so I actually borrowed the money. And this is when tickets were probably 50 bucks a ticket, you know, times mm-hmm. 10, 500. You'd think it's pretty lame that I couldn't come up with 500 bucks, but I couldn't. And uh, uh, so borrowed, yeah, borrowed the money and bought one of the tickets. My neighbor bought the other and I would uh, fly. I would get, I'd get on you know, the cheapest Southwest flight I could get uh, <laughs> for a few games a year that I could make it. And I would fly into Oakland and even <laughs> I think this was for the first game back. They were playing the Chargers. And I was so excited, and I flew in that morning with a friend of mine. I had, I think I had both tickets. I actually didn't have a plan of how to get to the stadium. There was not obviously not Uber, and I wasn't going to, you know, I, I don't even probably know how to call a taxi at the time. Right, um, right. And so we walked. Me and my buddy <laughs> walked from the Oakland airport to the Coliseum, and it was really hot, you know. And you're in your, we're wearing black, you know. It's absorbing the, the yeah, sun. Yeah. You're probably carrying some stuff. It was a pretty miserable walk. By the time we got to the stadium, you know, we, we really needed a drink. It was, it was uh, like I said, just stifling hot. So, uh, But we got there and you know, went to the game. I just thought nothing of it. We went to the uh, you know, tailgating and game. And then I can't remember how we got to the airport afterwards because we flew home that night to make it a one-day thing where we didn't have to do the hotel. And like I said, I don't even remember how we got back, uh, back to the airport. But we made it. And, 
yeah, you know, when you're a when you're a fan and you're invested, you'll do just about anything. I can remember as a kid in high school, and I can't believe my, it's a different time, but my parents let me do this. Like me and friends waited overnight outside of Arco Arena to get tickets when uh, Michael Jordan was coming to town. Wow. You know, in probably about 86, 87. Um, what could have went wrong? Right. You're, 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 yeah, exactly. What could have, I remember playing football in the parking lot all night. I mean, I would not let my son, who's that age now, you know, go spend the night outside of an arena. Are you kidding me? Right. But when you're a diehard fan, you're really into stuff. You do anything to get closer to the game. And so that's why I feel so lucky to have a, you know, to have a press pass to, to get in because I grew up just you know the ability to even go to a game what you would do um was great so i love it i enjoy it yeah i have a feeling we could have this conversation for hours i'm going to wrap this up but i mean i used to write chuck Knoll letters like on a weekly basis i wrote tony dungy letters how to fix his defense i mean i was young i mean all kinds of crazy stuff i might have to just do a show about all the crazy stuff i used to do like that i mean yeah. My buddy B.A. and I bought a 15-game yeah. package at 15 bucks a ticket for the Pens that was right behind a huge piece of concrete. You could see zero ice from our seats. I mean, but we yeah, just got in the yeah. building, you know, so all kinds of oh, stuff. Oh, Amazing. Seeing, I got to see the Harlem Globetrotters as a kid. That was like the biggest thing ever, too. We waited outside this arena, and we yeah. weren't sure if we were going to get tickets. My dad was running around trying to get them, and when we got them and it came through, it was like the biggest possible it was like the biggest moment of a young kid's life, you know, that you're going to get to go see this. So, so I think like Vic Fangio was saying, don't forget that, you know, yeah. when you're dealing with fans. That's great. And we actually took our kids to the Globetrotters recently and they had a blast and go down, they sign the balls and it's a, it's a really good experience. Dude, congratulations yep. again on the, yep. on the move. It's great. Uh, the athletics doing wonderful stuff, folks. I will miss you. I hope you miss me as well. It's going to be a while till we chat over and out. <laughs>